Our scripture this morning, the story that we are turning our attention to is in the Gospel of Luke. It's one of his resurrection stories that happen after the empty tomb in Jesus' resurrection. And so we come to Luke in chapter 24. And we're going to be reading uh, a very well-known story, The Road to Emmaus. And that story is found in verse 13, going through verse 35. So Luke 24, verse 13 through 35. As we open God's word, as we come to hear what word of God might be for us, let's pray. Oh Jesus, strong and kind, you give us the invitation to come to you. And that invitation is accompanied by a promise, a promise of your spirit with us. And so as we gather around your word to hear this part of your story for us, may your spirit speak to each of us, giving us what we stand in need of, challenging us where we need to be challenged, comforting us where we need comfort. May we hear your voice spoken in your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests, our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all that took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, 
how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. And then they turned to each other, asking, were were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up, and they returned at once to Jerusalem, There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And they were saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two disciples told what had happened on the way with them and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Iron Horse Trail has become a big part of my family's life over the past year. A few years ago, we moved into a house in a neighborhood right next to where the trail crosses Mill Street in downtown Kitchener. And it was a nice feature then, right? The realtor drew our attention to it. Brian's used it to get to campus. Uh, He'd bike to work. It was nice. It was nice to have. It was a feature but it has proven essential for our family's well-being and sanity through the various lockdowns and restrictions and stay-at-home orders. We have experienced the ups and downs of the world changing around us as we walked up and down the Iron Horse Trail. In the early days of the pandemic, we shuffled along quietly, far away from others on the trail, with the occasional encouraging head nod to and from strangers. We joined the throng of cyclists uh, who jammed the trail in the safer summer months uh, over July and August. And everyone was dinging their bicycle bells, uh, especially because Rosie was learning to ride a bike with her training wheels, and so other cyclists just kept dinging encouragement to her. It got very loud, because she also had a bell. I laced up my sneakers, and I joined the number of new runners Uh, pandemic runners, uh, who all needed just a little endorphins and just a little peace and quiet out of the house. 
And we would give each other thumbs up because we were obviously new runners because we were huffing and puffing. There was no smooth gazelle running. It was sheer effort and heavy breathing. And we would need to give each other thumbs up uh, to keep us going. And for the past little while, as the weather warmed recently, folks seemed to have a bit more of a, just a bounce in their step. There was a bit more laughter on the trail. There was more leisurely and relaxed walks. But there's another shift I've witnessed as I've walked the trail. I was out for an evening walk this weekend, and there were less folks. And those that were out, more of them wore masks. There were less kiddos running, uh, finding their way to the playground. There, there was less waving to each other. There was a marked absence of neighborly hellos and wanting to make eye contact. There was just kind of more heads down, or eyes just focused straight ahead. There was a couple walking ahead of me. I kept my safe, you know, six feet distance, but I could still hear them. And they were arguing about the new restrictions. They were gesturing angrily with each other. But their shoulders were also slumped in disappointment and what I can best guess is just sheer exhaustion. This weekend on the trail, we all just seemed to be getting to where we were going and avoiding others as much as possible. Which strikes me as very much how Cleopas and his companion walked the kilometers between Jerusalem and Emmaus. They were just trying to get to where they were going. Their shoulders slumped forward in disappointment and exhaustion. Some, some traditions say that the second disciple, along with Cleopas, the, the one unnamed, was his wife, Mary which would fit with Luke's pattern in his gospel of always pairing men and women's stories together. There's a story of a man, there's usually an accompanying story of a woman. And then others say that the companion remains nameless so that we can imagine ourselves as a second disciple. Makes it a little bit easier for us to find ourselves in the story. But either way, these two are followers of Jesus. And they're close enough to know the core group of 11, but they're peripheral enough that this is the only time we really hear his name or anything about them. There's a couple of disciples. Out of the many who followed Jesus, out of the many who were left confused and shattered by the events of the weekend. And like any of us after something bad happens, they were trying to make sense of it as they walked. They were turning over the details of exactly what happened, recounting them to each other, because they couldn't quite believe it was real. Grief and loss tend to do that to us. When we lose something or someone suddenly, when we experience a loss, we tend to revisit the details around it, the events that led up to it trying to piece together the last time we saw that person or had that thing, trying to recount the events that led to the loss, because maybe, maybe, just maybe, 
we can find an outcome that's different. Grief tends to do that to us. This week, I found it easy to fall into step with these two disciples. And I have a, an inkling that maybe that's true for more of us than just me. We're not really walking this road with a whole lot of joy right now. There might be pockets of it. Might be doing okay. We're not walking this road with a whole lot of energy. We might actually find that our steps have slowed down. And they fit with the steps of these disciples. Our shoulders slump with disappointment. There's not too much of a bounce in our step anymore. This third lockdown, this third wave, and the sheer realization that we have all now experienced that we have got a ways to go yet has left many of us kind of broken. If we were holding it together before, first wave, second wave, this round, this round seems to be the moment of breaking for many. There are parents who are exhausted. There are students and teachers who are loathing the idea of Monday morning tomorrow. Return to online learning. There are grandparents who desperately want to see their grandbabies. There are those of us who just miss having a social life, being heard and seen in person. Business owners unable to keep things together too exhausted to pivot again. There are those forced to leave their homes, make themselves vulnerable because the rest of us need them to be our essential workers. And there's those of us who hope for a vaccine, but keep waiting and waiting for their turn. I've noticed a rise in news articles about pandemic burnout. And the general consensus after reading a few of these articles in CBC and Globe and Mail and New York Times is that after a year of living with stress and exhaustion, amazingly enough, we lack resiliency. Amazingly enough, we are finding it hard to muster the strength and the energy to navigate the disappointment of this final stretch the challenges that the third wave brings to us both individually and collectively. I witness this as I walk on my neighborhood trail. It's obvious there. I witness the truth of this when I talk to many of you on the phone because we can't be together in person. And when I'm honest, <laughs> I witness the truth of this in my own life. Collectively, we are walking this road with shoulders slumped in disappointment and exhaustion. When Cleopas explains to the stranger on the road 
about what things had happened to them. He shares the facts as he knows them. He shares that they follow Jesus. Jesus was a powerful prophet before God and all people. He was handed over and he was killed like a criminal just on Friday. And Cleopas adds, we had hoped. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that this would all turn out differently. We had hoped this time that things would come out okay. We had hoped that this one was finally going to make it better. We had hoped, and we were wrong. We had hoped. These two disciples walking together couldn't imagine a way forward. No matter how much they talked and discussed and tried to put the events together, they could not imagine a way forward. No matter how they looked at it, their hope was in the past. It was behind them. It had been crucified on a cross back in Jerusalem, and nothing could change that. They were going forward. They were walking. There was no hope of where they were going. And that's where Jesus falls into step next to them. He comes up alongside and he matches his steps to theirs. Knowing the reason for their slumped shoulders, for their angry gestures, and for their deep sadness. As we saw on Easter Sunday with Mary in the garden outside the tomb, and, and last week with Thomas in the upper room and Mary sharing the story again today, Jesus stays with these two disciples in their grief and in their confusion by asking them questions and waiting to hear the answer. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And the one that got me this week is, what are the things troubling you? And I love that Jesus kind of lets Cleopas prattle on about Jesus. <laughs> and while some paint Jesus here as a bit of a trickster, there's, there's plays of hiddenness and deceit here of Jesus playing a role and part of me really likes that interpretation. Part of me likes that sense of playfulness that Jesus is doing here, but not right now. Right now I see the patience of Jesus here, the care he takes with them, of asking questions and holding the space open. He doesn't dismiss their grief or confusion. He doesn't just wave it off as if it doesn't matter. He doesn't just jump out and say, guys, I'm alive. Problem solved. He walks with them in it. He walks with them through it. But he doesn't 
He doesn't leave them there. Jesus doesn't come alongside them and just say, head nod and say, this is hard. Yep, yep, this is hard. Cleopas and his companion are on the cusp of hope. They share how the women returned with stories of an empty tomb and angels. They're trying to put that together. But they just can't see the way forward yet. And to help them, Jesus returns them to the witness of Scripture, to God's story from the very beginning, to, way, to the way that story gives shape to the hope that they can't yet imagine, the hope that they can't quite yet believe is true. The way forward that's right in front of them. Later, after they recognize Jesus, when they sit down to supper together and he breaks the bread, it's communion, the two disciples say, well, we knew something was up because didn't, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and opened up scriptures for us? Didn't our hearts burn? We should have known something was up. And I think part of that is because Jesus showed them taught them, reminded them, revealed to them that their hope wasn't in the past, wasn't behind them. Their hope was in front of them and in fact right beside them. He reveals to them the hope and the promise embedded and witnessed to in Scripture that God's story for them on that road, for the world around them, is a story of a way forward against all odds, a way forward against death itself, a way forward against despair, a way forward in hope. Because of the one beside them because of the one they didn't even recognize, because of the resurrected one. If you pay attention to the end of Luke, to his stories and the way that Luke puts them together and shapes his gospel, he smashes all of these stories of resurrection, all these stories that happen after the empty tomb, into a single day. I think in the Gospel of John, Mary, when you were sharing it before, it says about a week later, right? But for Luke, he smashes it all into one day. Cleopas mentions that the women went to the tomb that morning, saw the angels that morning, saw the empty tomb that morning. And then him and his companion are walking their road in the late afternoon when Jesus comes up alongside them. And they're at dinner together when they recognize him. And then he disappears. And then they hightail it back to Jerusalem later that evening to share what they've seen. And then at the end of the day, beyond where our story ended, Jesus appears to all the gathered disciples. 
before taking him out to the city limits to witness his ascension back to the Father. Before the end of the day, all of it in a single day smashed together. All of it on one day, on the third day, on the day of resurrection. And by stretching this day out and ending his gospel here, Luke invites us, I think Luke challenges us to see that God's story is not in the past. Our hope is not about what happened necessarily then, but it's about where we're being drawn forward. That we are still living in this third day, in this day of resurrection, where God is at work, where God is on the road with us, where God is leading us on. So whenever we come to scripture and the table, we are witnesses to the resurrected one here and now and the hope to be found in him. Whenever we come to scripture, not just a book written centuries ago, but whenever we come to scripture to hear the story of God's salvation, to hear the story of God's love, to hear the story of what difference it makes to us, we encounter the resurrected one and the hope he offers. And when we come to that table, either that one or your dining room table or your kitchen table, wherever we gather around the bread and cup and we recognize in each other, in this community, the presence of Jesus with us. And whenever we find ourselves praying and sharing with Jesus all the things that trouble us, we witness to the presence of the resurrected one here and now. And whenever we find ourselves walking this road of faith with grief and confusion, with disappointment and exhaustion, it is the resurrected one who comes alongside us who matches his step with ours, who asks us the question, what is it that's troubling you? What are those things? Waits for an answer. And then shows us the way forward. Who draws us onward. And who gives us hope. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Alleluia. People of God, please pray with me. Our resurrected one. Some of us are walking this road and our feet are faltering. Some of us walk this road and we still have a strong stride. And I thank you for your presence with all of us. No matter how we're walking this stretch, whether we do so with joy, we do so with grief, whether it's with exhaustion or energy, you match your step to ours beside us, accompanying us. 
and leading us forward. Thank you for your presence with us. Open our eyes to see you and those around us and the faithfulness of your church and each other and also in your word. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see Jesus. Amen.